You're beautiful. You're beautiful. It's true. JudgeCast. This is episode number 94. I'm CJ Schrader, and with me as always, my two fresh-smelling co-hosts. First off, we have Jess Dunks. Hey, this is Jess. <laughs> and Brian Brillman. Hello. What's the difference between potpourri and bark? I don't know. What? I, I don't know. Oh, I thought I this really was a joke. It's not a setup for a joke. <laughs> There's no F in him. Uh, oh, I don't. I don't have it. Uh, yes. So. Like, you can get for free in the woods, but potpourri costs $9 a pound. I don't know. Well, it's got, like, cloves in it. Oh, and it's purple often. Yeah. yeah. So, this episode is going to be a potpourri episode. Uh, I guess Jeopardy coined this term. I actually have no idea. But basically, it's going to be a collection of topics that we thought were too small for their own episode. So we thought we'd just throw them all in. It's kind of like an email show, only we sent all the emails to ourselves. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Filtered by the, well, I can't actually talk, I can't actually say what my real opinions are on that topic. <laughs> Forums. Forums. <laughs> cool growl. <laughs> Wasn't it? Yeah. <sighs> so each of us have, have a topic or two we're going to run through. And my first one is numbers in magic. And I don't think a lot of people realize there's a lot of stuff going behind the scenes with numbers in magic. Uh, a really basic one I think people do understand, and please don't send me emails about unhinged or whatever, um, is that if something is telling you to choose a number, you can never choose a fractional number. And if something, uh, there are no effects that exist that will make something happen with a fractional number. They but what all about... tell you to round up or down. But what about uncards? What about uncards? So the majority of the time, in Magic, we only use positive numbers or zero. So you'll never see a card that says deals negative three damage to the target player or choose a number. Well, this is a ridiculous card, but choose a number and deal that much damage to the target player. Um, in general, when you have to choose a number, it has to be positive or uh, zero. But in gen also, you can't deal negative damage to something. You can't gain negative life. And like I already mentioned, you can't choose a negative number. Majority of the time, Magic uses positive numbers. But... There's exceptions, and that is specifically a creature's power or toughness can be less than zero, and one's life total can be less than zero. Those are the only examples I could actually think of uh, for the exceptions. I don't know if you guys know any others. Can't have negative cards in hand. Uh, you can get, like, plus X plus X, where X is based on something, and if, like, based on a creature's power, and if the creature's power is negative, it'll be negative X, negative X. Sure, yeah. I, yeah. Um, so certain uh, calculations or comparisons can use negative numbers. Uh, in this case, that that was one of those those uh, comparisons or calculations. Uh, an example I think that demonstrates this is say you have a four four and you give it negative five, negative zero. It'll be a negative one four. Okay. So this is an exception to the zero rule I mentioned earlier because it has to do with the creature's power and toughness. Uh, if you did, if it got into combat, it would do zero damage, because like I said, you cannot do negative damage. But if something needed to know its combined power and toughness, i.e. a calculation, it would get three. It would get negative one plus four, which is three. Which is three. Which is three. 
And the number of the count shall be three. Yeah, probably another reason we don't do these topics is they are boring. <laughs> Trying to make it as interesting as possible, but it is not interesting. All right. So say you're doing a calculation, and the result of that calculation is used for an effect, and that's negative. So uh, say you have that negative one, negative four, and you're doing soul's fire, right? Um, or Which you, does what? Uh, it says target creature you control deals damage equal to its power to target creature or player if it's on the battlefield. <clears throat> that's, that's not exactly a calculation, actually. That's a bad example. I'm going to use a hypothetical card. <laughs> Let's say there was a card that said uh, hypothetical card de deals damage to target player equal to the combined power of all creatures on the battlefield and through whatever means all your creatures were negative ones, ones. In that case, it would add up all those numbers, so it would get negative eight, whatever, how many creatures you have. And it would try to do the damage, but it'd be like, oh, we don't do negative damage, so we're just going to use zero. However, once again, there's an exception to that rule. If the result of the calcula calculation results in a negative number, and that result either sets a life total to a specific number, or doubles a life total, or sets a power and toughness, or affects a power and toughness, we can use the negative value in the calculation. So, some more examples. A lot of these will use Platinum Angel, which says you can't lose the game. Um, yeah, and your opponents can't win the game. So say you're at negative three, and you have some effect which doubles your life total. You're like, well, is that a calculation? Yes. Does it set a life total to a specific number? Yes, because it's doubling your life total. I'm sorry. It doesn't set a specific number, but it is doubling your life total, which is one of the specific examples. You will become, you'll go to negative six, because we're doubling your life total. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Double that life total. I got I got hung up for just a second because I was like, wait. Wait, what? Is it negative three times negative three times? And I I'm was just, like, wait, that's not doubling. I'm just waiting for you to be like e to the x, cosine, tangent, integral of, uh, scalar value, cross product. I'm not <laughs> going to be like that at all. No. But here's another example. You're at negative three again, and a player blood tributes you. So that reads, target opponent loses half his or her life, rounded up. So what, what is the calculation there? Half your life, it's negative three, you round that up. Uh, so that would be, uh oh how do you round negative numbers? Negative one? That's negative one or negative two. Either way, because this is not setting your life total to a specific number, and it's not doubling your life total, we use zero. So you will lose zero life, because the result of the calculation was a negative number, therefore... We use zero life. So once again, the exceptions, setting a life total, doubling a life total, setting a power toughness, or affecting a power toughness in some way. Now, what about Mr. Life Total? Yes. I got a, I got a, I got a question about a card that has the word shadow in the title, and boy, there's a lot of them. It's that, it's that. 1313 guy for one black mana. Death's shadow. Death's shadow. Death's shadow, yes. So if I'm at, because I have a Platinum Angel out, and I'm at negative six, because mm -hmm. I was at negative three, and then I played this effect that doubled my life total, so I'm now at negative six, and I have out my Death's shadow. Death's shadow is one black for 1313. That's a pretty good deal. Yep. Um, with the ability Death Shadow gets minus X minus X, where X is your life total. What? Uh, so yeah. So what? What's there if my life's at negative six? All right. You said it's it's twenty minus your life total. It's 
13 and it gets minus x minus x where x is your life total so you get to use your uh your basic math skills here and you're like okay uh so this is a calculation it's 13 minus negative 6 which is equivalent to 13 plus 6. Uh, so the uh, result of that calculation is 19. we can use negative numbers because we are setting a power toughness although this one doesn't but uh so or, modifying. sorry modifying a power and toughness affecting a power toughness in any way so therefore, your death shadow will be a 1919. Seems pretty good. Yeah. I just broke modern. You did it. You did it. You yep. just got to get yourself to negative life. You just got to get a platinum angel out, negative life, death shadow. There you go. There you go. You see, you're Step. joking, but there's a real deck that does actually use Phyrexian Unlife to get it in, to, to be a negative life in modern. Oh, well, great. <laughs> this is what you That's, guys get for not knowing your format. The great thing about modern is there's a deck... It's it's like the app store for Apple. There's an app for that. There's a deck for that <laughs> in modern. It's so wide open. So one yeah. last thing on numbers. <laughs> if something tells you to choose any number, obviously you get to choose any positive number or zero. I think I touched on that uh, earlier. But hey, there's an exception to that. Unless something, such as damage or counters, is being divided or distributed among any number of players and or objects. In that situation, you have to choose a non-zero number. So this has come up a lot with Pelucranos, where people are like, well, why can't I... It says I can deal damage to any number of creatures. Why can't I choose zero? Or I can split this damage among any number of creatures. You know, why, why can't I choose zero? And before you ask, listeners, yes, for some time it did work that way on Moto. Oh, did it? I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, this is one of the reasons the commission came up so much. People were like, I did it on Moto just the other day, and they really did. Oh. So, yep. And one other thing I want to add is if you have to choose any number, say you're gaining any number of life through a combo or through infinite mana or whatever, you still have to choose a real number, something you can actually keep track of. That's more of a policy discussion than a comp rules discussion, but you can't say I gain infinity life or I would say you can't say you gain a Googleplex of life because if you can't write out a Googleplex minus one without writing the words Googleplex minus one, then I don't think you're able to keep track of your life at that number. Yeah. Nah. You'd let someone gain, gain a Googleplex? Maybe. I mean, so here, here's the thing. Norm, normally when you say, like, I just did a Googleplex damage or I just gained a Googleplex life, you're basically saying, you know, I gained such a massive amount of life that either you're going to need to deck me or you're going to need to deal a massive amount of damage. I mean, you start getting into this... I'll say fuzzy area, you know, where the where the other opponent, if he's only able to do like 50 points a turn, well, is a Googleplex really different than 100 million? Yes. Uh, so from a strategy standpoint, we determined mathematically that that uh, that if your opponent is not playing a deck that can deal infinite damage somehow, the correct number of life to game is is 50,000. Uh, because the, the 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 goblins deck that was in modern, I don't know if they're still playing it, is actually capable of dealing almost that much damage. But anything beyond that, a, real, a fair deck can't do. A fair deck is capable of dealing fifty thousand points of damage. <laughs> Believe it or not, yes. Hmm. As an exercise to listeners, please write in and tell us how this deck can do fifty thousand points. A fair deck, non combo. <laughs> Well, no, no, it can be combo, just not the kind of combo that goes that, that involves infinite loops. Like if you're like playing a bunch of guys that do a bunch of things, that's fine. But um, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but, okay. there's a way to do it. All right. <laughs> Brian sounds like he just doesn't believe me. Well, I just as I just want to see it. You know, 
just show your work, man. Sure. <laughs> or make the listeners do it. Like, sure. or, or, or wait, wait, wait. As we learned with Sovala, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. I'm just going to say, it's not possible. You can't. <laughs> it can't be done. No way in the world can a deck do that. Now, <laughs> the emails are just going to start oh. pouring in. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. Hey, it was a multi-show multi, multi show thing trying to get that, uh, what was it, 11th third, or 12th gate? It was. But someone finally solved it. And once it got solved, it was like solved easily to make hundreds of gates. Like, Did they? Yeah. I thought they still couldn't do it. No, no, you, it was absolutely solved. And I don't remember the answer right now, but I believe it involved. No, uh, because they still had to cheat because they still had to use, uh, 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 what's his name? The, uh, uh, the Kamigawa dude that keeps his name when you copy. Yeah, that's not cheating. Yeah. There was something, and then. Uh, Sakashima to... the Imposter? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Sakashima the Imposter. Well, we already, because we already had Lazav as the 11th gate. That's why this was. No, Lazav, did, Lazav didn't Lazav work. Lazav doesn't work. Lazav, that's probably what you're remembering is it sounded like it worked, but then Lazav didn't because it copies the card in your graveyard. And there was a way to do it, but it required you copy using Lazav to copy a Shaka Sakashima, and then having something else. That was it. Yeah, yeah. We're going deep. Yeah, I don't remember. It was something. It was a year and a half ago, or a year ago. We'll be, you know, I'm wrong. Send an email correcting us. No, but yeah, someone did solve it. I just found the email. Anyway, (laughs) that really was. It was actually. Just a little over a year ago. All right, so let me talk about life totals for a second because they came up a lot in the numbers. Specifically, setting and exchanging life totals. If you have an effect out there that sets your life total, what ends up happening in the background is you gain or lose the appropriate amount of life to reach that new life total. So say you're at 10 and something sets your life total to 20. You just gained 10 life. So if you have something that triggers on gaining life, it will trigger. And if it looks, you know, if it wants to know how much life you gained, it'll see that you gained 10 life. Uh, if uh, something tries to set your life total and you can't gain life, the setting won't do anything because once again, it is gaining life. Uh, if something doubles your life total, that's the same concept. You are gaining that much life. So if you're at 10, once again, you double it, it goes to 20. Uh, if you're at 10 and you have two effects that double, say um, you have something that is having you gain 10 life or set, have, have something that's setting your life total to 20. And then you also have that guy out that says whenever you gain or as you gain life, you uh, gain double that much instead, if you would gain life. Then since you're gaining 10 life, he doubles that and you're going to end up gaining 30 life, even though your life was set to 10, 20. Yeah, yeah, all over the place. Too many numbers. It's okay, man. It's okay, man. It's okay. Shouldn't have chosen this number one. Hey, here's the thing. At least I had to look up how to pronounce potpourri. Is that right? Because I usually say potpourri. Oh, it sounds, it sounds like something I'd order in a Thai restaurant or a Chinese restaurant. Yeah. Like pot. because I can't pronounce stuff. Look at it. And be like, I want the the pot puri. Pot puri. <laughs> pot puri. You, you just can bring me some soy sauce for that too. What what is that? Um. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Let's go out with a bang, and by a bang, I mean exchange. So if something tells you to exchange your life totals with something else, uh, generally it's between two players, but there is that one tree. That tree redemption. Yeah, that made it weird. Uh, that That's the same situation. You're actually gaining up to the new life total, and they are losing down to the old life total. However, if something says you can't gain life, then what happens in reality is no exchange happens if you would have been gaining life from the exchange. So let me give an example i'm at 10 brian's at 20 
and uh, something's out that says players can't gain life. If we were to exchange life totals, it would make me go up to 20 and him down to 10. But because I can't gain life, no exchange would happen. Now, if we reverse that and say I'm at 20 and Brian's at 10, and something says I specifically can't gain life, but Brian can, and uh, we try to switch our life totals, that works because my life total is going down to 10 and his is going up to 20 and nothing's preventing him from gaining life. So it's a very specific situation. But if you can't gain life and you're trying to exchange life totals and it's trying to bring your life total up, then no exchange happens at all. And on the flip side, uh, I got, yeah, I'm oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go no, ahead. No, no, I'll, uh, I was just say, I have a question about uh, while we're on the topic of numbers. Yeah. There's one thing I think you didn't cover. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> and uh, this came up in my last PTQ this last weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody has a Phyrexian on life or some other thing that lets them go below zero life. Okay. And they're at a negative life total. Uh-huh. And someone casts Angel's Grace while they're at a negative life total. What's Angel's Grace? Yeah. Uh, Angel's Grace, uh, one of the things it says is that if you would receive damage, that would bring your life total to less than one. Well, actually, we better we better read the card. Hold yeah, on. Yeah, I got it. So you can't lose the game this turn, and your opponents can't win the game this turn. Until end of turn, damage that would reduce your life total to less than one reduces it to one instead. Uh-oh. So, so let's say I'm at, I'm at zero life. Yep. With a Phyrexian on life in play. Phyrexian on life, the important thing here is that it lets me be at less than uh, zero or less life um if i take damage then would i go back up to one with angel's grace no why not you just take the damage see what this card's looking for unless i'm way off uh is that it's looking for any damage that will take you from a number above one to a number less than one but you're already at less than one so this card's effect uh for that replacement effect does not apply at all yep yeah yep it's a weird interaction people don't often get it right and it, and it doesn't come up often so people don't have a lot of experience with it but you're, you're absolutely right on that one if you are at less than one and and damage would take you to less than or to lower than that angel's grace will not prevent it yeah there's another card a uh, elder scale worm that says as long as you have seven or more life damage that would reduce your life total to seven uh to less than seven reduces it to seven instead i guess they cleaned up the wording on that one a little bit because it says as long as you have seven or more life but mm-hmm. I, I remember it had the same situations where say you're at seven they make you lose three life so elder scale worm doesn't apply you're at four and then you can just start taking damage normally because it doesn't you know it doesn't care all right oh that's my topic the only other thing i was gonna say about exchanging is exact same story but if you can't lose life and something tries to set your low uh lower your life total then nothing happens the exchange does not happen all right all right all right so um angel's grace actually segues into a little bit into what i want to talk about which is damage what is your damage all right so about the first bitty. nice <laughs> um so damage is you know where we talk about it a lot um there's combat damage lightning bolt deals damage and stuff like that but there's actually a lot going on um so first off uh about a, about damage any object can deal damage uh, you know permanence spells abilities on the stack uh um those those can those can deal damage uh but only but damage can only be dealt to creatures planeswalkers or players okay damage can come from combat from a spell or an ability okay um combat damage is damage dealt during the combat at the beginning of the combat damage step is the the turn-based action uh, and its source is the creature and its source is the creature dealing the damage um, 
other damage is not combat damage. So so things that 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 trigger off of combat damage, if it's not actually in combat, it's not combat damage. Uh, and the source uh, of that damage is specified by the spell or the ability. Okay. Uh, for example, fight the fight mechanic. It feels a lot like combat damage, but it's not. Okay. The source is a creature because fight tells you the creatures are dealing damage to each other, but it's not combat damage, even though they're fighting. Um, so damage uh, uh, has a few results. Uh, uh, so when damage is dealt, what happens? Um, well, the thing that people are most familiar with is damage dealt to a player uh, uh, by a source without infect, which is most sources, uh, causes that player to lose life. Okay, so um, damage and loss of life are, so, and this is this is a point of confusion for newer for newer players. They're not exactly the same thing. The loss of life is what you actually mark on your life pad when you go from 20 to 17. You just lost three life okay the damage caused that loss of life but you could also there's spells out there that cause you to lose two life three life whatever okay so things that interact with preventing damage will prevent the damage and therefore you won't lose life but things that just straight up say you lose life that's not damage that doesn't get prevented or anything like that um so if damage is dealt to a player by a source without infect that player loses that much life um, damage to a player by a source with infect causes you to get that many poison counters. Damage to a planeswalker causes that many loyalty counters to pop off. Damage to a creature with wither or infect causes the creature to get minus one, minus one counters equal to the amount of damage dealt. Um, damage to a creature without wither or effect causes damage to be marked on the creature. Now, what we mean by damage marked on the creature, if you want to visualize it as like little tiny damage counters on the creature, just kind of like sitting over there, sitting on the creature, kind of invisible, that kind of count up, um, you can. And when the amount of damage is equal to its toughness, equal to or greater than its toughness, then state-based actions are going to put it in the graveyard. Um, they also get wiped off at the end of turn. We'll, t we'll talk about that in a bit. It does not work like Duel of the Planeswalkers does. Uh, Duel of the Duels of the Planeswalker actually represents the toughness of the creature going down. That's not what happens. No. Okay. And then one other result of damage is uh, damage to a creature with lifelink um, causes uh, uh, you, the controller of that creature, to gain that much life. Um, now, one thing that's kind of interesting about this is it's the damage is causing the life gain, not the ability lifelink. So there are certain cards that say, like, hey, whatever spell or ability causes you to gain life, um, lifelink isn't an ability that causes you to gain life. Lifelink is an ability that changes how damage is done, and it's the damage that is causing you to gain life. Seems unnecessarily complex, but that's the way it works. Um, so, so damage, yes. I just want to mention how important it is to separate the concept of damage with damage being marked on a creature. Like, I think people already intuitively know that damage can have different results, but they don't think about it like that. You know, the fact that damage has one result on players than it does on uh, creatures. And once you start to separate the concept that there's the concept of damage and then there's what it results in, I, I think it makes a lot of other rules interactions kind of fall in place, particularly with infect or yes. planeswalkers. Right. 
So, so damage, what we just went over is talking about the results, okay? But uh, applying damage, damage happens in three steps, okay? And we're going to go over those three steps. Um, so step one is the damage is dealt, okay? Uh, modified by replacement or prevention effects. So if I am dealing five damage, I just hit you with a 5-5 five, five creature, and you have a prevention effect that says prevent two damage the first thing we're going to do is we're going to say five prevent two so i'm gonna i have three now or a replacement effect like dictate of the twin gods that uh doubles all the damage done so if i hit with a five five uh that's going to be doubled and become uh 10 damage that is going to be dealt now for things that trigger off damage being dealt here's where they trigger and this is what they trigger on okay um or uh, uh, yeah, well, then the damage is processed uh, into the results, okay, as modified by replacement effects that interact with those results. Uh, the most common uh, uh, interactions are things like worship or <laughs> angel's grace hey. or Elder Scale Worm. Yeah, Elder Scale Worm <laughs> or Platinum Imperion. It's almost like we planned this, but we didn't. Um, Okay, those are things that say like, hey, um, worship, for example, says uh, if you control a creature and uh, damage would reduce your life total below one, it reduces it to one instead. So you are at, uh, uh, sorry, so you're at 10, you're at, uh, let's say, two life. I attack with a 5-5 five, five creature and I control uh, dictate of twin gods, so it's going to get doubled to, to 10. We do that. Then we look at it and we say, okay, now we're going to translate that into the results. Worship says, losing life, I can't, I can't, when damage is dealt to me, it can't cause me to lose life below one. So what did I say? I was at three. Two. Um, so two. So even though I'm hit by a 10, by a 10, 10, and I'm taking 10 damage, okay, I'm only going to lose the one life. That's what the result is going to turn into. So what if, okay. what if that 5-5 five, five had lifelink? Well, uh, because that creature, that 10-10, it dealt 10 damage. I'm going to gain 10 life. Or not me, the person that controls the 10-10 the with lifelink. Right. Yes. All right. Um, so then the, the last step of the damage dealing. So the first step is damage is dealt, modify with any replacement effects. Step two is figure out what the results are going to be as a result of the damage being dealt and then any replacement effects that interact with those with those results. It's normally things like putting counters on or life totals not being able to drop below a certain amount. And then the third thing is apply the results. So figure out what everything's going to be and then do it. Now, in these three steps, there aren't, you know, there's no uh, state-based actions being applied. Nobody's getting priority. <clears throat> if you have replacement effects, then you get to do the normal decisions of aside, deciding which, which order. But this pretty much all happens all smoothly. Um, after damage has been dealt, then, um, it's important to know that damage does not actually kill the creature. Okay, state-based state-based actions do. Okay, lightning bolts don't kill creatures. State-based actions do. So it's the state-based action that looks at the damage that's marked on the creature and determines whether or not it needs to be destroyed. Um, let's see here. Uh, two other things. Um, if a source deals zero damage to anything, it didn't really deal any. It didn't deal any damage. So if I attack with a two-two and you play something that prevents two damage, that two-two didn't deal any combat damage. It didn't do anything. Um, 
except, you know, look cool swinging and running across the battlefield. <laughs> uh, and then if damage is uh, <clears throat> marked on a creature, uh, then it, at the end of turn during the cleanup step, during the state-based action of cleanup, uh, that happens at the beginning of cleanup, uh, all that damage that's marked on that creature goes poof uh, simultaneously with any end-of-turn effects ending. So that's damage in a nutshell. I have nothing to add to that. No? <laughs> it's hard not to do an awesome powers reference every time someone says blank in a nutshell, but yeah, I, I think I think we've moved on past that point. It's me trapped in a nutshell. Okay. What uh, kind just... of nut has a shell? Never mind. <laughs> I don't think I have anything to add to that. If that's what you're about to ask. No. Okay. So are we doing are we doing both topics like back to back? Yeah, man. All right. So a second topic. Now this is potpourri, right? Yeah. We can talk about anything we want. Yes. All right, ladies. I know there's some female <laughs> listeners out there. I would just like to say that I am, you know, I like to think that I'm a pretty intelligent guy. And if you also like intelligent men, you can send me an email at b. No, 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 no. That's that's. Uh... <laughs> I think okay. Okay. All right, all right, all right. I'm kidding. That's, that's, that wasn't my real topic. Okay. I want to talk about expansion symbols. Okay. No. Um, th- that's not a real rules thing anymore either. Don't. Okay. Then fine, fine, fine. I'll talk about drawing a card. Is that fine? Can I do that? I suppose. All right. I should stop you on this one, too. Yeah. You come up with another topic. God. Um. Can I audible back to giving out my email address? But no. you basically don't... said your email, by the way. Well, I didn't finish it. All right. I'll just sneak it into the end of the show. Because <laughs> you can't stop me anyway. Right. You do you. Yes. All right. So, uh, drawing a card is uh, pretty neat. <laughs> That's all I got. Um, no. So, the action of drawing a card is... You know, what we're all familiar with, it's taking a card from the library and putting it into your hand. Um, there's a turn-based action that allows you to do that during your draw step. Um, some neat things about drawing a card is uh, if you are going to draw multiple cards, say Sphinx's Revelation, draw X cards, um, you are going to draw those cards as separate individual cards. So. You know, you don't draw five cards simultaneously. You are going to draw one card five times. Uh, this is important for things like Courser of Crufix, okay, where the top card of your library is revealed. So you are going to draw a card, and that second card is going to be revealed. You're going to draw that second card. Your third card is going to be revealed. Your opponent does get to see those. Um, what if you're milling five cards? <clears throat> if you're milling five cards, if it says mill five cards, then uh, you just take them all, all five. Bloop. Interesting. Yes. It seems so why? Funny. Why? Um, I used to know why. It's way back in like old day lores, like 90, 1994, 1995 stuff. Um, if multiple players are to draw a card, um, then the active player is the one that draws all of his cards first. So if you play a spell where it's like each player draws four cards, active player draws his four cards, and it goes around. Um, if you, uh, if you have a card that lets you replace your draw with something and you have no cards left, you can still replace it. Now this doesn't hold for dredge because dredge actually 
make sure that you have enough cards in your library to actually dredge before you can do that ability. But if you have an option of, of say, something like, you know, you may instead of drawing a card do this, and you have no cards in your library, you can still do that other thing. Um, I, I have a funny story about dredge when you're done, actually. <laughs> okay. Um, and then, uh, oh, oh, let's bring it up. Uh, if you draw a card during the casting of a spell, that card is going to remain face down off to the side until you're done casting the spell. Uh, uh, <laughs> happens to the only one. Um, if you attempt to draw a card and can't, state-based actions are going to kill you. So it's not having an empty library that kills you. It's attempting to draw from an empty library. So if someone mills out your entire library, you've still got a chance. Make the best of it. And Just you have like that, that Pegasus card, Island Sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah. Like, pe like the Pegasus card, Island Sanctuary. The Pegasus card. The Pegasus card. You know, the Pegasus card. Uh, you know, whatever. They mill you out, you know, get psyched up, do your 80s-style Rocky montage, and, and come back and kill them before you draw your, your, your next card. Because, yes, if you try to draw from an empty library, state-based actions are going to kill you. And that's drawing a card. But not done. <laughs> okay, Jess, dredge story. Okay, so, uh, well, for dredge, so funny story. I was messing around with playing uh, Rune Flare Trap in Modern. And for those of you that don't know the deck from Standard, um, it involved a card called Rune Flare Trap, which oh. deals damage to you for, or equal to the number of uh, cards that you have in your hand. And it makes you draw a whole bunch of cards. It plays Howling Minds and Dictator Crucifix and, and Fauna Mythos and all that. Make, to make your opponent draw tons of cards, and then you kill them. Uh, and I was playing against someone who was playing a dredge deck in Modern, and it was hilarious because every time they had a card draw, they had to click through like seven or eight different replacement effects for stuff for, if they didn't want to dredge. Oh, because each card in their graveyard had, Ew. or there were seven or eight dredge cards in and, their graveyard. Right. So yeah. every time they would, every time they'd go through a draw step, it would take them like three or four minutes to get through that draw step. So they have to keep clicking on no. I don't want to do this. That's funny. Did the guy time out and lose? No, it wasn't quite that bad. But it was. I mean, it had to be annoying. It had to be the most annoying thing. I think. I think that's why. Uh, what was the simic? The 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 Ravnica, the first simic uh, mechanic. Uh, In uh, Return to Ravnica or the old one? No, no, the old Ravnica. Uh, uh, not. Did they did they not have transmute? No, 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 no. The Simic one. It was something oh, like when a, when a creature comes into play, graft. you could graft. Graft was really obnoxious on Magic Online also. Every time you played, any time a creature came into play, for every graft creature you had, do you want to move the counters to it? Do you want to move the counters to it? Yeah. Do you want to move the counters to it? No, 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 no. Stop, stop, shut up. I remember those stupid rings that were in um in 12 or 13. Oh, those were awful. Yeah, they would trigger it. So it was like, you know... At the beginning of your upkeep, don't they trigger even if they're not equipped? Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. Uh, if at the beginning of your upkeep, if you know, well, except the word "if" isn't in there, but they're like, you know, put a plus one, plus one counter on this creature, or something about it being a green creature, or something like that. And uh, but it didn't have an intervening if, so they triggered even if they weren't equipped. And uh, it's yes. just like that's frustrating. They did that. They did that on uh, uh, Duel of the Planeswalkers too. Yeah, they did. So obnoxious. So I guess if you could instant speed equip it during your upkeep, then 
something happened uh, good. Right, so if you've got like a brass squire or something, it could be relevant. Oh, oh yeah, right? yeah, so here's the exact wording. At the beginning of your upkeep, put a plus one, plus one counter on equipped creature if it's blue. So, little side lesson here, that is not an intervening ifs trigger because intervening ifs have to be worded uh, trigger condition, comma, if uh, some other condition. <laughs> they actually have to intervene. Yeah, comma, <laughs> effect. This one just says, there's no, you need two commas first off. And it just says, put a plus one, plus one counter on equipped creature if it's blue. It doesn't say if this is equipped to something, and it doesn't say if it's uh, blue as an intervening if. So this triggers every turn. Uh, <laughs> it's frustrating. I don't know why they worded it like that. Well, All right. Anyway. So for my topic, it's kind of twofold. Um, I've been I've been playing a lot of Modern recently on Magic Online, and uh, the deck I'm working on right now is a variation of Conley Woods Eggs deck. Um, and... If you don't know about that, you could Google it and find out. Uh, change the cards around. But it's made me realize uh, that one of the things people don't always know about, and, and watching people play this deck at the last PTQ also made me realize that so many people don't know how they're actually supposed to cast spells. Um, so I'm going to talk just for a real quick. I know we've got an episode on this, but just as kind of a refresher uh, about the fact that all crazy teens have tried magic pills. <laughs> Um, which is a, a mnemonic. It's not one I used, but it's one that I think is really good um, for how to remember the steps of casting a spell. Uh, that is, all crazy teens have tried magic pills, A-C-T-H-T-M-P, or as those those of us cool kids like to call it, Acthutum. It's a homonymous. It's younger brother. Yeah, Philothip's younger brother, Acthutum. Um, so, so the the steps are that you announce your spells and place it on the stack. You choose any modes that it has. You choose any targets that it has. You choose how you're dividing any effects that it says to divide. You total up the cost and lock in the cost. And then you activate mana abilities and you pay the costs. And it seems very straightforward. We do it all the time without thinking about it. But, um, let me give you an example. Let's say, um, that I have an island and uh, a lotus petal. Not a lotus petal, lotus bloom, sorry. And these are the only things I have in play because I haven't drawn lands for three turns. Um, Can I cast... Ah, crap, what's the name of that spell now? Now I can't remember the name of that spell. Uh, The blue one that draws, that has affinity for artifacts, draws cards. You know what I'm talking about? You're asking the wrong people. I know what you're talking about, but if you want the name of it... By the way, Lotus Bloom is just Black Lotus for people. Lotus Bloom is an artifact with Suspend 3. You suspend it for free. Three turns later, it comes into play, and it is a Black Lotus. Hurrah! Hurrah. Very powerful. Um, so, and, and there's another card. It is a blue card that I'm, I will remember the name of here in a moment. Uh, that you it costs four and a blue. It says draw three cards, and it has affinity for artifacts. So in this situation, I can sacrifice my Lotus Bloom for three mana, and I can tap my island for the fourth mana, but then I won't have a Lotus Bloom, so it doesn't cost one less because of affinity, right? Or is there a way that I can cast this? There is. How do I do that? All right. Um, so since Lotus Bloom has a mana ability, what we do within the uh, steps of casting a spell there is a little further down, we calculate the total cost. Okay, so you haven't you haven't activated any mana abilities yet, but you calculate the total cost. Affinity reduces that cost by one because you have one artifact. So we calculate total costs, and the cost comes out at three in a blue. Then you're given the ability to activate mana abilities if you so choose. At this point, go ahead and use 
the Lotus Bloom, adding three mana to your mana pool and tapping the island. Uh, so what you've done here is once that cost is calculated, it is locked in. So sacrificing the Lotus Bloom later doesn't go back and change the old cost. So that means you can, in fact, do this. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing that goes with this is there are a couple of other things people I've seen screwing up all the time with this where you have uh, something like Icar Wellspring in play and you sacrifice it to cast Reshape. Um, and the Reshape has an additional cost of sacrificing an artifact. And so I cast Reshape, I sacrifice my Icar Wellspring. Do I search my library first or do I draw a card first? And the answer is because it's an additional cost and it happens while I'm casting the spell, it's not something I pay for before, I actually draw that card first and then um, and then I'll do the effect of reshape and search my library. Um, I know this used to come up frequently in Scars of Mirrodin block with like Horizon Spellbomb and the old Spellbombs, the old Mirrodin Spellbombs, like Pirate Spellbomb, I think worked the opposite direction. So it can get confusing, but just pay attention to the wording and tell you whether, you know, t it tells you what you need to do. Um I know we can get a lot. What's that? It's pronounced Icor. Sure it is. I'm not. I'm not even making I that up. You. I believe you. This is the one. Is I it know. even a real word? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. It it means basically what it shows there, like uh, gross, gross stuff. Uh, Icor, an ethereal fluid flowing in the veins of the gods, an acrid, watery discharge, as from an ulcer or wound. Icor. Well, I'm glad CJ's here to let me know that. Yeah. It's odd that CJ is able to pronounce a word correctly. This is the one I know. So the, the, the card I was thinking of earlier, by the way, is ThoughtCast. Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know why I couldn't remember it, but I couldn't remember it. We should have named this ThoughtCast instead of JudgeCast. All right, carry on then. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I actually don't have much else to talk about about that. I just wanted to go over it quickly. Uh, I know that we have a lot of new listeners, so that's one of the topics that if you're a newer magic judge, you should really delve into is the steps of casting a spell. And uh, there's a lot of interesting scenarios there. Uh, there's a good resource for that. Uh, Justin Turner wrote an article about that a while back that explains it very well. And there are lots of other judge resources about that as well. Like a podcast. Oh, uh, yeah, we have an episode specifically about steps of casting a spell, which yeah. is one of the things that hasn't changed uh, since we did that episode. We, that has not changed as long as I've been a judge kind of nice uh, uh let's see convoke and uh the other one changed delve around it but yeah the steps themselves did not change right ah cool do you want more look at that justin turner got a shout out on judge cast he'll be so happy for me yeah i know well people he won't um, be happy because he won't listen because he's not on <laughs> this is also a relevant point see if he calls us out on that um Anyway, I, I have nothing else okay. uh, about that topic. I, and I know, I know that you guys each had like a topic that you segued into. Uh, and Brian apparently wants to get dates. Um, <laughs> but I, that's, all, that's all I have to talk about on this potpourri show. Hey, why don't you segue into Selvala? Uh, okay. She's so, relevant. Um, didn't we already go over that? <laughs> so last episode, we sure did talk about Selvala a bit. Um, so I'm going to read her again. For people who don't know, she's a card in Conspiracy. Uh, each player tap. So she has tap. Each player reveals the top card of his or her library. For each non-land card revealed this way, add green to your mana pool, and you gain one life. Then each player draws a card. So something we talked about last time is the awkwardness of this card is that that is in fact a mana ability. So like we were just talking about during uh, during what Jess was saying, you get an opportunity to, ca to activate mana abilities while casting a spell. The weirdness with Limbala, Selvala, sorry. Not Linvala, she's the activated abilities girl, I think. Uh, Selvala is what happens if you tap her and you're casting, I don't know, a Colony Hydra, something with a bunch of green in it, and you don't get enough green out of her to actually cast it. 
Oh. Oh. Like, you needed that fourth one, and you only got three. Yeah. And you really, really wanted to activate this ability while casting the spell instead of beforehand, uh, which I would prefer everyone just did that. But everybody has drawn a card. That's weird, right? And we maybe made a mistake last time. Although, I'll admit, we didn't sound very sure, but... I still didn't believe that was the case, (laughs) just for the record. That's fine. Oh, I forgot. I'll I'll take the hit on that. We didn't make a mistake. That was a test. I mean, yes, that was a test to see how many listeners we had, because based on people emailing us or messaging us or posting in a forum that we were wrong, I now have an exact number of our listeners because it's approximately a million people <laughs> who felt the need. Approximately a million. We were like, exact number is approximately. Approximately a million. Exact, the exact number is exactly one million and one. So what we said was if you activate the mana ability, and I'm going to say we, but it's... Yeah, like, I know. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the best thing part about editing Judge Cast is my mistakes don't stay on. <laughs> <laughs> we, we even had a conversation about that. Uh, so we should... Oh, it'll be fine. I'm going to cut out that whole numbers thing. I'm like, eh, forget it. I didn't <laughs> like it. Um, I'm just going to re-record it. <laughs> anyway, anyway. So what we said is you tap her, you don't get enough green mana. What happens? Well, the CR says that you do a CR rewind in that situation. Uh, We misinterpreted the rule there a little bit, though, because we said you would rewind and untap Silvala, and the cards that people drew would stay in hand. Right. What the the whole action. Yeah, what the CR says in reality is if the action that is part of you, so you rewind all the actions, right? But if the action caused cards to change zones, then you do not rewind that specific action. So in this case, we would so we would untap any other lands that were tapped to cast a spell, but we would not untap Silvala. Um, so you would uh, you would keep that life gained. Everyone would keep those cards in hand, and you would have any whatever number of green floating in your mana pool from Silvala herself. But all and she would remain tapped, and all the other effects would be rewound. So we messed up. Yeah, sorry, but we didn't really say that was law either. So yeah, yeah. We are sorry million, for the mistake. Million and one listeners. Yeah, million and one. Million and one listeners. But in other news, we have a new level four judge, Daniel Kitschkowski. <laughs> Kitschkowski? Kitschkowski. Dapper Dan, as we call him. Oh. Because he's, he looks dapper. <laughs> he he does. I think the comment when uh, when uh, uh, Lopez was trying to do the uh, setup for the, the charity playmat thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was he was asking uh, asking Daniel to you know wear a nice shirt and Daniel's like I don't have any shirts that aren't buttoned buttoned up. Of course he does. He, he was like wear a nice polo and he's like I I don't have that. All my shirts are buttoned up. All his shirts are nice because he, he's always looking he's always looking nice. Anyway, congratulations to him on level four. Yay. He's also he's been the rules um, the net rep forever. One of the net reps, uh, and he's also in charge of the level three advancement yep. process. Yep. When uh, when Mister when Mister Jeff Morrow uh, stepped down, uh, which you heard first Daniel, on JudgeCast, which you did hear first. Spoilers. <laughs> That's a spoiler. Well, I don't. I don't know. Okay. It was at the time. It was at yeah, the time. It yeah. It was actually. It was actually funny because I made. I made mention of that, and other L threes were like, "Where did you hear that?" And I'm like, "From me, because because uh, I'm a primary source." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So. So. Congrats to Daniel K. Indeed. Been a long time coming. Yeah. All right. Let's dive into our emails. We only have a few email, this time. Email. I'm not doing it. Email. All right, fine. You're really not doing it. Mail time. 
what? I'm looking. It's like I don't see any more cat photos in our mailbag. No, CJ. no cat photos this time. What's up with that? Maybe next time. Our first email comes from Scott. He says, hello, judge-shaped replicants. I've been a faithful, even dependent, some might say, listener for about two years now. And I have to say yours is my favorite anything in all of media. If someone told me there would only be electricity for one more hour, I would immediately begin listening to your Layers episodes on 2x speed. (laughs) I find your show to be highly informative, hilarious, and very helpful in navigating the ever-expanding sea of cards in this crazy game. In Splurge Feed. Do you think if all electricity went away, like, magic would just blow up? I guess we wouldn't be able to print it anymore. No. We'd still be able to... Like, manually? We'd still play. We we would still have all the old cards. Yeah. And, like, video games are dead, so... Anyway. (laughs) It just means that people would have to start talking to each other instead of hunched over their phones. No. I I I would immediately just, like, set up a, you know... Um, uh, a bicycle with some batteries or something like. Yeah, I would. I would be going around cat photos, draining every <laughs> battery I have, just trying to. Anyway, be sticking wires in potatoes. <laughs> Come on, need something. Uh, candy Crush. I need the Candy Crush. <laughs> All right, his question is about Scion of the Ur Dragon and Wheel of Sun and Moon. So Scion says, two mana. Search your library for a dragon card and put it into your graveyard. If you do, Scion of the Ur-Dragon becomes a copy of that card until end of turn. Then shuffle your library. Wheel of Sun and Moon throws a wrench in this plan and it says, if a card would be put into enchanted player's graveyard from anywhere, instead that card is revealed and put on the bottom of that player's library. Ultimately, his question is, you have Scion of the Ur-Dragon out, you're enchanted by Wheel of Sun and Moon. What happens when you search your library for a dragon? Does the Scion become a copy? Um... <laughs> I I think yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure the answer is going to be that it does. The answer is indeed yes. Yes. Go the, can cheat and look at my yes. response email. Uh, <laughs> okay, so so Scion so Scion says search search your library for a dragon permanent and put it into your graveyard. If you do, Scion over dragon becomes a copy of that card until end of turn. The whole if you do thing is did did you, did you search up a card and do something with it? Um, there's there's stuff about like replacement effects. Uh, satisfying criteria and stuff like that. There's rules for that. Um, but basically, uh, for this particular card, the, the way it's wording, you did satisfy uh, uh, the clause. So because you revealed the card, uh, the characteristics are, you know, were verifiable at a point, so it does become a copy. That's correct. Yeah. If you do, is only looking to see, did you search up a dragon? It doesn't really care what happens to that dragon. I can understand how that's a little misleading, but there is a specific rule that covers that. And it says, we don't care what actually happened. Just did they choose to go search their library and find a dragon card? Next, from Richard. He says, I have a few questions, mainly about failure to maintain game state. It says that not reminding your opponent about mistriggers isn't part of this infraction. From what I have seen, the most common gameplay error... Uh, We'll, we'll circle back to that in just a second. But he says, uh, then what are some examples? So, okay. Uh, Man, there are lots of examples of this. Yeah. yeah. The, the, class, the classic is casting a spell for the wrong amount of mana. You know, it's a it's a five mana spell and you cast it for four or it's double white in the cost and you, you, you do double blue instead. Uh, or attacking with a creature that has summoning sickness. You know, any any of those types of things are are examples of of gameplay errors that a player makes and the opponent 
fails to catch them. And that's when you would get uh, a failure to maintain game state. So what about Miss Trigger? Why is that special? So, well, he asks the question about Miss Trigger. But, um, so yeah, failure to maintain game state, though, it's always paired with the GRV. It is never paired with any other infraction. And it's never given on its own. I, I think that one suffers from people sometimes just reading the title of the infraction and yeah. being like, oh, you failed to maintain the game state. Here's your infraction. Oh, yes, yes. And it's always, it's the opponent. Okay, it's you. You never walk up and give both players a GRV, or sorry, not a GRV, a uh, a failure to maintain game state. It's like, well, you didn't maintain the game state, so you get a failure to maintain game state. It's always uh, a fa- failure to maintain game state is a passive infraction. It basically means the other guy made a mistake and you let him. Yeah, that's what that means. Uh, so the second question has to do with missed triggers. He says, secondly, are you required to remind your opponent of their triggers if you are aware of them? For example, player A attacks player B with a creature with heroic, then casts an instant on it. Uh, player A keeps track of the damage, but fails to note the heroic trigger. And player B notices the heroic trigger, but says nothing. Player A has a missed trigger error, but has player B officially done anything wrong? And does this change if the situation results in lethal damage, for example? Uh, there's there's a lot going on with this question. Basically, <laughs> do you have to point out your opponent's triggers? Uh, so so that's that was a change uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, basically, um, uh, it was handed down uh, that keeping track of your own triggers is a skill. Your opponent does not need to help you play in that regard. So failing to point out or or not pointing out your opponent's missed triggers is not a problem it's not cheating okay you're not required to do that however okay the missed trigger policy has this this list of when is the trigger actually missed it's not forgotten trigger it's missed trigger and the way people and and as a general rule the trigger is assumed to have happened until you have evidence that it didn't i'm over generalizing a little bit but it's assumed to have happened until you have evidence that it didn't. So if the heroic trigger is something like put a plus one, plus one counter on it, and he doesn't do that right away, okay, and proceeds to do things uh, after the trigger would have resolved, well, you have evidence it didn't happen, and so it's not going to happen. But if the trigger is something like gets plus three, plus three until end of turn, okay, the first time that you might have or, or the the time that you would have evidence that it did or did not happen it might actually be taking combat damage like if you attack with a 2-2 that's got a heroic trigger that gives it plus 3 plus 3 and he casts the spell to give it you know flight or whatever and uh, and uh, connects and then he goes take 5 well he did not miss that trigger because he is he is pointing it out basically at the first time that it became relevant yeah I think it's a fine summary of the yeah. trigger policy. Yeah, yeah. We did a whole episode on on the on on the new missed trigger policy uh, several several episodes back. I think the I'm sure you can search around. Yeah, that. I think the final correct one is the one with James Bennett on it. Because obviously we have a few episodes on trigger policy, but yeah, yeah. back when it was lapsing triggers and then some yeah. other stuff. That's Just, changed around a lot. So you'll get a lot of people. So even now, you'll get a lot of people that still don't quite know what's up with that. I would also suggest reading the annotated IPG. Oh, wiki.magicjudges.org. If you go to the annotated IPG, we break down every sentence of the mistrigger policy and explain just what it means in probably more detail than you'd ever really want to know. 
unless you're an IPG nerd. I want an annotated, annotated IPG. Uh, it would really just be like poop jokes. I want to know your thoughts when you were writing whatever line of it. <laughs> you want commentary on the annotated IPG? You want you want cliff notes? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you have a paragraph, I can just tell you what, what was going on. <laughs> I mean, I didn't write everything. I, peer, I know, I know. I peer reviewed everything. I have, I have thoughts. <laughs> But <laughs> I have thoughts. <laughs> I have thoughts. We'll leave it at that. All right. So let's do one last email here from Stephen G. Uh, hey, Judge Cast. I've been talking about this all morning with my playgroup, but uh, we are still as divided as when we started the discussion. If you have a Loxodon Smiter in hand and get thoughts seized, can you recommend them choosing the Loxodon Smiter without mentioning the text on it? So Smiter has that text that something like if a spell or ability controlled by an opponent had, makes you discard it, you can put it onto the battlefield instead. Um, Obviously, they have the ability to read the card themselves since it's, he says, free information. It is, in fact, derived information. Uh, Oracle text on the card is derived information. I can see it going either way, especially with what you say to recommend, um, what you actually say to recommend or mention the Loxon Smiter. So what's the judge's verdict? Would I be a bad player if I tried to tilt them to the Loxon, even if it's just, well, there's the Loxon, or so the Loxon then? Thank you so much, Stephen G. I mean, that's, it's fine. <laughs> you, you can say that. You can totally say that. But but it's it's the smiter is clearly a bad thing. I mean, by not saying, you know, that it's like, hey, if you choose it, I'm going to get it. You know, isn't that a problem? Uh, No, as long as you're not misrepresenting what it says, then you're fine. Like you couldn't say uh, you could not say if you choose this Loxodon smiter, it will not go onto the battlefield. <laughs> but saying I would like you to choose the Loxodon smiter is a true statement and saying <laughs> I think yes. you should put the, you know, do the Loxodon Smiter might be a true statement. And saying you definitely should do the Loxodon Smiter is called bluffing and it's fine. Yep. Uh, yeah, there's no, there's no problem with that. You, now, you might make you a jerk <laughs> by doing it if you if your opponent doesn't know better and, and you're not joking around like it. Yeah, you, I have a hard time believing that's not a joke. Right. But let's just say, you know, if maybe it's foreign, right? right? Like you should choose this. Uh, OK. And they choose it like you. You're kind of a jerk. But uh, that doesn't mean that, you know. Yes. It's it's allowed because you really can't stop it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So so Oracle text on a card is derived information at competitive and all derived information is free information at regular. Uh, so what that means, though, is as long as you're not lying about what the card does, you don't have to give 100 percent accurate information. Uh, yeah. You know, you can be like this card's a four four without oh. mentioning the discard thing. You should totally pick my Luxodon Punisher. All oh, right. Luxodon Punisher is a good card. Yeah, I pick Luxodon Punisher. And it's like, OK, I'll do my Luxodon smiter I was like wait what that's not what that's you know that's an example of something that doesn't doesn't quite work um but yeah as long as you just i mean you can't you can't obscure if he asks you what the card is then you can't obscure it you have to be correct about it because that's free information um you you can't be like oh it's just a thing oh no right but right. in this particular case you're saying oh luxon smiter that's a great great choice you should totally do that that'll wreck me <laughs> all right that's all our emails so if you out there want to contact us you can email us at judgecast at gmail.com like us on facebook at facebook.com slash judgecast follow us on twitter twitter.com slash judgecast or always visit our website at judgecast.com if we make a mistake you can contact us on all of those all at the same time 
all at the same time repeatedly. Repeatedly. No, that's not fair. Nobody repeat. No one contacted us more than once. Correct. But we did hear about it a lot for the last two weeks. In one one we heard it. We heard about it less than like an hour after you put the the show up. Yeah. Which the episode the error was actually <coughs> more than an hour into the episode, so somebody had to be listening to it at like double speed. That's how I listen to all my podcasts, actually. Is it? Yeah, yeah I know people that do that. Yeah, That's... and it actually makes it really hard. Like like Marshall Sutcliffe's talks so slow to me because I I only know him at double speed. That's so weird. Like like if you stop thinking and start thinking about something else, you end up missing like a lot. I don't know. I built up to it. I, I have no problem doing it. Uh, double speed is fine. Much You're faster than that freaks. is. What's that? You're both freaks. <laughs> I mean, we're not trying to use our podcast to get dates, so whatever. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> low, low. All right. Let's 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 wrap this bad boy up. I think that's a, I think that's a great way to go out on. Uh, once again, everyone, thank you for listening. And my fresh-smelling co-host, thank you for being on this lovely show with me. My name's CJ Trader. I keep it fair. I'm Jess Dunks. I keep it fun. I'm very thrilled and I keep it desperate. <laughs> <laughs>